0: Before we get into this, I just want to bring uh, this to your attention. These were made this week. Uh, Cross Redemption is these uh, Mark notebooks. So essentially what these are, just a tool to help you have a place to capture your notes, capture what God's teaching you through this series, through your own individual study or through sermons, whatever. Um, These are available at the info desk. You can buy them. And uh, on the left side, as you open it up, is basically just the text of Mark. Uh, So you can read the, the gospel of Mark on the left side. On the right side, just a blank space for you to take notes And uh, by the end of the series, if you had this, you could kind of just capture in one place everything that God taught you through it. So check that out. Feel free uh, to grab those uh, if you you want one, all right? Well, we're in our third week of this Mark series, and what we've said is that Mark is writing an eyewitness-driven account of Jesus' life. It's an eyewitness account because Mark was familiar with many of the people that interacted with Jesus in this story. Some people have even said the Gospel of Mark should really be called the Gospel of Peter, because Peter was one of close, John's, uh, Jesus' closest disciples and one of Mark's closest friends. Some say maybe they were even cousins. And so Mark is writing about Jesus from an eyewitness perspective, and he's writing it in the time of other eyewitnesses. So if there were people who disagreed with what Mark said, they could stand up and say, that's not how it happened. So Mark is writing a historic a uh, historically accurate, eyewitness-driven account of Jesus. And last week, we had the camera sort of zoom in on Jesus, and we heard from Jesus for the first time. Jesus summarized the message of Christianity. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We said that that's a summary of the message of Christianity, that Christianity is good news of God's kingdom, and it demands a response well, now we're going to be introduced to some actual individuals that Jesus is calling to respond. So they've been hearing about this good news of God's kingdom, and now they are going to be personally invited, personally challenged, personally asked to respond. It really provides us a good sort of case study as to what it is to become a follower of Jesus, what it is to become a disciple. We're going to interact with four different people. You see them here in verse 16, uh, Simon and Andrew. Uh, Simon is, a, is a, kind of the original name for Peter. You'll hear in just a moment how that got changed. But Simon Peter, that's the same person. Simon and Andrew, they're brothers. And then in verse 19, you see James and John, these sons of Zebedee. These four men will eventually become Jesus' disciples. They will have significant leadership and influence in the church. John will write the gospel of John. James will be one of the first martyrs in the early church, killed for his faith. Peter will transmit all this information to Mark, who will write down an account of Jesus. These become important people in the life of the church, in the life of church history. But they also, for our purposes today, give us kind of a case study of here's what it is to follow Christ. Now tell me, do you like to be invited to stuff? You might initially go, well, yeah, I love to feel invited. I love to feel honored. I want to know that people want me there. That, that sounds cool. But every time you get invited, you, you either consciously or subconsciously, you ask yourself a series of questions, don't you, to try to determine whether you want to go? Right? There's some things you get invited to, and you just automatically you go, I don't have to think about it. I'm going. Yes, for sure. There's other things where you think, How can I creatively and nicely say no? (laughs) Because I don't want anything to do with that. Well, how do you determine that? Whether you really want to go or you don't or you're not sure? Well, we ask a series of questions. We want to know, okay, who's inviting me? What are they inviting me to do? Who else is going? Is this going to lead to anything? Does this cost anything? We ask these questions that dictate how we're going to respond. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this invitation that Jesus gives to these disciples... And by extension, the invitation he gives to us. And I want to ask those same questions that these guys must have been asking as they've been thinking Am I going to accept Jesus' invitation? Am I going to follow him? So that's what we'll look at these five questions. First question is this Who is inviting? That's the first question you ask, right? If someone invites you, who's inviting? Whose party is it? Who is it that wants me there? Who, who are these people? Do I know them? Do I not know them? Are we close? Is this someone I'd like to get to know? Who is inviting me? Right? There are some people that would invite you to something, and they'd invite you to leave the room right now with them, and you'd go, I'm not following you anywhere. I will not know, right? There are other people you would go across the world for. You would travel land and sea, baby, for you. Right, that, Like you would do whatever, right? So, so who is doing the inviting is a key question. So Jesus shows up here along the Sea of Galilee. We've got some pictures from the Sea of Galilee. I took these uh, probably about nine years ago. You see it. It's a beautiful place. Um, Lots of vegetation and life that grows in and around this sea. It's an incredible place for fishing. Uh, When we were there a number of years ago, we got to do kind of a sunset boat ride. That's the next picture. And you can kind of feel some of the choppiness of the water and some of the things you read about in these gospel accounts. This is a real place. I, I saw a real first century fishing boat, much like these guys would have used. And so Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee He sees Simon Andrew, verse 16, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Just the way this worked is they would have sort of small nets with weights on them and ropes attached to it so that one or two people could do the fishing. And they would sort of toss the net overboard, and then it would sink to the bottom. They would collect fish, and then they would would haul it up. They would pull it up. That was how they made their living. Jesus sees them, and he says, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Now, when we just read Mark's account here, we don't have much background. It seems like Jesus just sort of shows up to these people he's never met before and says, follow me, and they go, right? Imagine if you went to Santan Mall after this, and you got some lunch, and then you sort of stood out there in the corner, and you said, hey, hey, you over there in the red t-shirt, follow me. What, What would he say? Can we call security? Right? I mean, this is nuts, right? Like, I don't know you. What are you doing? Right? Is that what's going on here? No. These guys had experience, had some personal experience with Jesus that led up to this point. We know that because in John's gospel, John records it. The, the same John who's mentioned in this particular story uh, writes about what happened after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So, so he gives us kind of a, a story of that. Let, let me show you a little bit of what this says in John chapter 1, verse 35. This is the day after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. It says, the next day again, John, that's John the Baptist, different John from here, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, just so you understand what's going on here, it was very common for rabbis and religious teachers to have disciples. The historians tell us that these disciples always had to initiate the relationship with the rabbi or the teacher. It it never worked the other way around, which makes Jesus' invitation pretty unique. So John the Baptist has disciples. He has people that are following him. And he's hanging out with these guys, and he sees Jesus. He says, guys, hey, gather around. Look. That's what behold means. Sort of a Bible way of just saying, hey, look. Look. The Lamb of God. Now, a few verses before this, he had told them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, what is a Lamb of God? What does a Lamb mean to a first century Israelite? A Lamb was a a sacrifice. A Lamb would have its blood poured out on an altar as a sacrifice to atone for sin. And when John says, look, hey, guys, look, the Lamb of God, what is he saying? saying, this is the one who's going to get rid of sin. We've already seen in in Mark's gospel that John told him, guys, after me is coming someone who's way stronger than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In another place, John says, he must increase and I must decrease. John's whole agenda was to point his his disciples to, to Jesus. Well, it works. It's effective. Verse 37 says this. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They went after Jesus. They wanted to know more. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So these guys, they want to know more. They want to get more. They want to get some time with Jesus. Can we, can we meet with you? So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So one of the disciples who Jesus is calling in our story here in Mark was also previously a disciple of John the Baptist. He was one of the two guys who heard him say, hey, hey, look, that's the Lamb of God. So they spend this time with Jesus. They, they're pointed out to him. They go, We don't know exactly how long they were there, but they're spending an afternoon at least with him, hearing from him, asking him questions, surely being blown away by the authority and the insight with which he explained things. Then it continues. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The word Messiah, by the way, means anointed one. The nation of Israel was and still is For unbelieving Jews, awaiting a Messiah, awaiting a Messiah who will usher in the kingdom of God, an anointed one from God. And Andrew says, after just a few hours with Jesus, Simon, brother, dude, bro, we found him. We found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. So this has happened already when we pick up Mark's account here. Now, we don't know, maybe as long, potentially, as a year. But these guys have seen Jesus. They've been around Jesus. They've talked to him. They've seen what he's done. They've heard him teach. What they know about him isn't much, but they know at least three things. They know, first, he's the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice for sin. Second, he's a rabbi i got to listen to his teaching. And third, he's the Messiah. And so when Jesus says, follow me, they go. It seems crazy, but listen, if you trust somebody, you'll do all kinds of crazy to follow them. One example in my life was in 2002. My wife and I were married for just about six months and trying to figure out what to do with kind of this first initial season of our married life. And I was interested in possibly being trained for ministry. And so I connected with a high school friend of mine, Tyler Johnson, who's now the lead pastor with Redemption. He was leading a college ministry at East Valley Bible. And he said, hey, why don't you come out here? You guys could get jobs doing other stuff and you could volunteer in the ministry and and get trained and really be immersed in the life of the church and, and just see what God has for you in the future. And so we did that. We moved across the country and we did something that I wouldn't advise. We we did that, never having visited the church, and the church was the reason we moved. Right? I'm th- I look back and I go, "What were, honey? What were we doing?" I don't know. But I remember sitting there in the parking lot that first Sunday, going, "Honey, I really hope we like this, because we've got a lease on an apartment, and like this, I hope this is good." It was crazy. Why'd we do it? Because we trusted Tyler. trusted him. I wasn't actually all that worried. It was fun to joke about, boy, I hope I like this church, but I wasn't worried about it because I knew him and I trusted him. And if you know somebody and you trust him, you'll follow them. And that's what Jesus is asking you to do is to know him and to trust him and to follow him. Who's inviting? Jesus. Second question we ask, what is it I'm being invited to do? This seems like an important question, Okay, we're inviting, you're inviting me? Great. What are you inviting me to do? Any of you familiar with the Ragnar Relay Race? Anybody know that? Right, the Ragnar Relay Race, it just happened over the last couple days. They do it every year. Just the last few days of it just took place. It's a 205-mile it's a race from Wickenburg to Mesa that you do with 12 people. So 12 people each take three legs running 205 miles from Wickenburg to Mesa, right? I've been invited in the past to participate in this race. Would you like to be part of a group that runs 200 miles? No, I would not. I don't care who's there. I don't care who's inviting me. I don't, Tyler, you can invite me. I'm saying no, right? Because what it is, what you're being asked to do really matters, right? If, if, if you said, like, like Jeffrey and Darcy and graciously have, hey, do you want to come over and watch the Oscars tonight? Yes, I do. I want to sit on a comfortable couch and watch TV. That sounds much better than running 200 miles, right? What it is matters. So what are, what's Jesus asking these guys to do? What's the invitation? We see it, verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me. Don't overthink this stuff. Christianity is God's good news of his kingdom. It demands a response. What's the invitation? Follow me. Follow, get in line, get behind, come after, imitate, learn, follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. Notice this. Jesus is not inviting them to participate in a system, or a religious thing, or a a, a formal institution. He's inviting them to follow him. Follow me. I'll, I'll go, you get in line, get in the following Jesus line behind me. Follow me. It's that simple. Now listen, I know that a number of you, you've been burned by bad religious experiences in the past. You've been burned by people who got really into some kind of theological system or who got weirdly religious or who just didn't act like Christians very much. They were mean and they were cruel. They didn't care. And and you've been tempted, I know, because of that experience. I know about it hurts. You've been tempted to go, "I I don't want this whole thing. Listen, Jesus is just asking you, follow him. Follow him. It's going to be a mess along the way. You're going to get hurt for sure. But follow him. That's the invitation. What are you being invited to do? Follow him. Now, some people go, well, I don't follow anybody. I'm my own person. I'm a leader. Everyone's a follower. Even if you go, I do whatever I want. Okay, then you follow your appetites. You follow your desires. You follow your lusts. You follow your, your little monkey brain or whatever you think you have. Everybody follows. The question isn't whether you follow, it's, it's who you follow. And Jesus says, stop following yourself, stop following some other ambition, follow me. Follow me. Third question is, well, who else will be there? Who else is going? Right, this is the question that's asked at every high school party, right? Right, and... and and if you're a, you know, if you're a high school guy, high school guys, some of you are in here, right? And you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to ask this girl to homecoming, right? So you get all nice looking, which means you look like you don't care. And you're like, <laughs> you get some flowers, you get some chalks, you're like, hey baby. <laughs> you want to you wanna go to homecoming with me? There's two answers you don't want to hear. One is, no way. The other is, well, who else is going? Right? It's like, well, I'm going. I'm asking you. Isn't that enough? The reality is, when there's something going on, you want to know, well, who else is going to be there? Right? Do you want to go on a cruise to Europe? Maybe. Who am I going to be locked on a boat with? Right? There are some people for whom I, no, I don't want to go. If, 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 if they're going to be there, no, I'm not interested. Some of you, this is your whole question with family gatherings and holidays and Christmas. Do you want to come back home for Christmas? Uh, Well, who's going to be there? It's an important question. Because when we're invited to things, we're never invited alone. And, And even though, get this, even though Jesus is not inviting you to a religion or a system or an institution, he's inviting you into a personal relationship with him, here's what you need to know, there are other people involved. Jesus is not just asking individuals to follow him. He's also here forming a community. Here, it's, hey, it's not just Andrew, will you follow me? It's Andrew and Simon and James and John, follow me. All of you, individually and together, follow me. You could say that the seeds of the church are here in this invitation. So listen, the call to be a disciple is a call to follow Jesus in community with other people. Now that gets messy and that gets hard because we can get hurt, but it's so, so, so important. You need other people. So much of the Bible says love one another, encourage one another, bless one another, be generous to one another, confront one another. All these one-anothers, there's dozens of them in the Bible. You can't do that without other people. You can't be an obedient, faithful disciple without other people. There's a young couple in my life that I love dearly, and I, I mean, they love the Lord, and they're in the following Jesus line. They're his disciples. But they're, they're young and they're fairly recently married. They don't have kids. And they both have good jobs that make them travel from time to time. And they're really connected with all their college friends. And so they, they go do you know these get-together weekends. And they do all this stuff. And, and as I watch them, what I, one of the things I notice is that for, for all kinds of really good reasons, they basically never go to church. Or they'll go once every few months. But then... They're not in a community. They're not in a small group. They can't serve. No one in the church can count on them for anything. And I watch them and I just, I feel afraid for them. I don't don't doubt at all that they're in the following Jesus line. But what I know is that they're out there on the open plain like lone gazelles. And the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And who does he go after? He goes after the people alone. Is that you? I mean, you're here. and That's a a wonderful thing. but, But beyond this room, beyond this place, are there other Christians who know you? and care for you, that you have an opportunity to serve, and you have an opportunity to, you don't even need to ask him, hey, how, do, how can I pray for you, just because you know him well enough that you just know how to pray for him? If you don't have that, the, the way we help you begin that process here is our Start Here class, but you need that, because Jesus is inviting you to a personal relationship with him, but you need the other people with you. R.C. is a great Bible teacher and has been a seminary professor. Here's what he says about this. He says, it is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we will make much progress if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. Indeed, it is commonplace to hear people declare that they don't need to unite with the church to be a Christian. This is not the testimony of the great saints of history, it is the confession of fools. You can do it, you can try, but it's really different than what Jesus is doing here. Fourth question when you get invited. What will it lead to? Where's this going to go? Right? Is this just one thing that I'm being invited to or am I being invited to another thing? Right? Right? If you get invited to a Tupperware party or to a whatever, you go, okay, I'm being invited to this, but is this going somewhere else? What is this going to lead to? Right? It could be a really good thing that something leads to. When I was in high school, I got invited to participate in this fall baseball league. It had never, something like that in Colorado, and the area I was in, had never happened before. And I thought, okay, if I, if I do this, it could possibly lead to me developing my skills enough to play college ball. Right, So it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, but you'd begin to go, okay, what might this lead to? Jesus doesn't say a lot about what following him is going to lead to. But here's what he does say, verse 17. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This these words, make you become, is a is a it's a it's words that indicate process. This is gonna take a while. This is gonna be a journey. Jesus is using their, their vocation, right? They're fishermen. They're used to fishing for fish. Jesus is saying, listen, spend time with me, get in line with me, and I'm going to use you to fish for men. I'm going to use you to catch other people and to bring them, to haul them up into the following Jesus line. They're gonna ex- you're going to experience new life and new hope and new joy and new relationship with God that you never thought was possible, and you're going to be used to start a movement of that around the world. but I'm going to be the one that does it in you. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, follow me and become a fisher of men. He says, follow me and I will make you become a fisher of men. I will grow you. I will develop you. You're not sure of yourself. You're not confident. You don't feel like you have answers. You don't know how all this works. Fine. Just follow me. I'll take care of it. I told you, it was expected for the disciple to seek out the rabbi. Do you see what's going on here? This is a microcosm of the Christian faith. Jesus is the one pursuing disciples, and Jesus is the one that makes sure the disciples grow. Come, follow me. I'll take care of the rest. If you've been waiting to follow Jesus because you don't feel like you've changed enough, or you don't feel like you've gotten serious enough, or you don't feel like you know enough, stop it. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, follow me. I'll take care of what this will lead to. Now there's a last question, and this is a big one. This is really, really important. How much does it cost? Right, anytime you get invited to something, how much does it cost? Hey, do you want to go on this trip to Europe with us? Yeah, but how much does it cost? Um, Do you want to come to this party? Sure, what do I need to bring? How much is that going to cost? Do you want to have this new job across the country? Maybe. What is that going to cost me and my family and my relationships? What's it going to cost? We always factor that in. Right? If the cost we think is too high and not worth it, we, we say no. Well, what's the cost of following Jesus? And, and we've got to just be upfront about this. I want to be honest with you about this. Here's what the cost is. Because you ever have a time when you get invited to a game or a party or a a concert or you get invited out to dinner and you're not sure, like, so did they invite us and are we paying for ourselves or are they buying the tickets? Like, I, I wasn't sure how that worked. I don't want to bait and switch anybody. There's a cost to following Jesus. It could be really high. What's for these guys. What's the cost? Well, their whole life gets reoriented around Jesus, first of all. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left what was comfortable. They left what was familiar. This is the story, by the way, of every person of faith. Abraham was called by God to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house and to go to the place that God would show him, to trust him enough, to step out in faith and leave what was comfortable and familiar and reorient his life around God. They're called to do the same thing. They left their nets. In verse 20, James and John are called and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They're leaving a family business. Now in a culture like this especially, that's a big deal. All right, we live in a, in a much more individualistic culture where children are, are sort of assumed they're free to do what they want and to become what they want. Not in a culture like this. This was costly. This was painful. Now, this isn't teaching, by the way, that every Christian needs to leave their regular job and become a full-time follower of Jesus, where they preach or they become a fisher of men or they're a missionary or they're something like that. Not everyone is expected to do that. But what this is saying is that this may cost you your whole life. Everything that was important to you, everything that you thought mattered, is on the table a radical reorientation of your whole life. Here's how Tim Keller says it. He's a pastor in New York City. Wrote a great book about the Gospel of Mark called The King's Cross. You can find it on Amazon. He says this. If you say, I'll obey you, Jesus, if my career thrives, if my health is good, if my family is together, then the thing that's on the other side of that if is your real master, your real goal. But Jesus will not be a means to an end. He will not be used. If he calls you to follow him, he must be the goal. Do you get what he's saying? This is an unconditional following. This is saying, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I'll follow you. You say jump, I say how high. That's what it is that he's Lord, right? Why why do you call him Lord, Lord and not do what he says? This is a cost. This means potentially laying down the ambition you had to make a lot of money. This might mean you lay down the perfect family that you thought you were going to have take place in your life. This may mean that you lay down all kinds of things that you never saw coming exactly what they were, but you're called to reorient your life around him. And it might mean that you lay down your life. You might even die for this. Andrew, Simon Peter, James, and John, all of them died because they followed Jesus. All of them were killed. For their faith. Could that happen today? Could that happen to you? It is. This week, it happened. Across the world, 21 martyrs, 21 Egyptian Christians were killed for their faith. This could happen to you. There's a real cost. Take a look at this. is a very dangerous time to be a Christian. Torture, beheadings, destruction of- the highest of- level of persecution of Christians. A church congregation barricading themselves in from hundreds of riot police. ...are enduring attacks for their faith- like Along with never savage before. kidnappings of Christian schoolgirls in Nigeria by Boko Haram and the burning of- Christian Images churches. of violence dominate headlines. Christians are being warned to have a choice. Convert to Islam, pay a very steep price or face death chilling new video showing the beheading of 21 egyptian christians beheadings of 21 christians 21 christian men beheaded by islamic state the title of the video is a message signed with blood to the nation of the cross the the sharpest jump in violent uh, attacks against christians we need to make the persecuted church an issue of prayer Following Jesus could cost you your life. It's not hypothetical for those 21 people and our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. So let's take a moment before we, I've got a few more things to say, but let's let's pray for those families. Father in heaven, we know that saying that the blood of the martyrs has been often the seed of the church. God, we know that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. God, we pray for the families of those 21 men. We pray for thousands of other Christians in that region, and not just the Middle East, but China and Europe, and around the world, who face persecution because of their faith. Father, we might be more free from the idea of being beheaded, but we still face all kinds of opposition because of our faith. So God, strengthen us, strengthen your church until you come again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How much does it cost to follow Jesus? Everything. 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 This is what it is to be a follower of Christ. Just so you understand my story. I grew up in a home where we went to church. And I had a number of times where I went forward or made some kind of commitment to follow Jesus. What I really wanted, as I look back, was I wanted people to sort of think of me as a good guy. And so I followed Jesus when it was convenient. And when it was more convenient to kind of leave that aside and do what my buddies were doing and care about what they were caring about, I did that. So I became a kind of chameleon. And as a junior in high school, a neighbor got involved in my life. We began to read about Jesus and read about his disciples. And there's a place in John 6 where a lot of people have been following him. And Jesus says some really hard stuff about, "This is going to cost everything." And a bunch of people say, "This is too hard. Who can accept? And it was that moment that this friend, J.R., looked me in the eyes and said, Luke, I think you follow Jesus when it's convenient. And I'm wondering, if push came to shove, are you sold out for Jesus? Or do you just follow him because it props up your image? Well, I got defensive. I got mad. I didn't like that. But after a couple weeks of wrestling with it, he was right. And I saw what these men saw, is that following Jesus means he gets everything. It's not part-time. It's not I'm in if. It's here I am, all of me, I'll follow. Will you follow him? If you've not yet followed Christ, will you follow him? Maybe you've followed Christ, but you've begun to drift. You've begun to follow kind of your own intuition, or you've kind of drifted back out of the pressure of your family or people that have been antagonistic to you because of your faith. Will you follow him? Why could these guys, Andrew, Simon, James, John, why could they follow him? Why can these 21 people give their lives for Christ and not back down? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin, who gives us access to God. It might cost you everything, but it's worth it. Follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us grace to follow you. Thank you for laying down your life in your son Jesus at infinite cost. God, help us to follow you no matter what the cost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.